My name's Gil. If you're new, um, you're stuck with me, and uh, I'm doing the sermon this week, so we're having fun, and God is great. I grew up in this church, and they occasionally invite me back when I'm good, uh, and uh, hopefully if you pray hard enough, it'll be good today. So let's pray and seek God's face and see what God does. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your embrace and your encouragement. Open our ears to hear from you. We may be moved on by you to change, to adjust, to grow and uh, to experience your touch. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want to say is that I am absolutely in love when God does a miracle. And realize that many times in my life, nothing short of a miracle will help. (laughs) I I need things to happen. In fact, last night was a miracle. The the process, uh, about three weeks ago, I was in a hospital room praying over a friend of mine who was dying. And uh, he ha- was having falling seizures, all kinds of different things, slurring his speech and little strokes. And I've, it looks like we were going to lose him. And uh, so he was in the hospital and they couldn't figure out what it was. And then eventually somebody found something. And uh, I went in there and prayed over him. And I said, please, you know, we kind of want him to hang around. We kind of like him and all that kind of stuff. Please heal him. And, and uh, I guess they drilled three holes in his head and found that he was having blood clots moving around, that kind of thing. And last night... He walked into church. I said, I like that. This is really good. So I, I hugged him. I said, can I hug you or am I infectious or whatever else? But I, he let me hug him. And it was just great. I said, get in there before. You know, it, just, it was just so exciting. Now, a number of years ago, in our church in Southern California, we had a police officer who, in the routine work of his duties, he had broken his back and they were about to retire him off. And he was going through the paperwork and he'd had the x-rays and yes, his back was broken and he couldn't keep working and, you know, that kind of thing. And so they said, you need surgery uh, in order to just live a normal life, in order to kind of keep going, fuse the back and do this and that and the other thing. And so he asked between the first x-ray and the surgery, he asked for the church to pray for him. So he came up, the pastors anointed his back with oil, prayed for him, say, God, heal him. Because he's kind of, you know, kind of thing. And uh, so then in another week or two later, he was going to go in for his surgery. And so he said to the doctors the day before the surgery, he said, could you just, I, just humor me. My church prayed for me uh, and uh, they asked for God to heal me. So could you take another x-ray? And he, they said, okay. So they take another x-ray and they cancel the surgery because they say your back is healed. You're, you're just complete. You, and you, they put him back on full duty. And it's like, that's cool. Now, a little while after that, I remember we were trying to buy a new building because we needed to expand our ministries and we were all excited about what God might do. And I found this building that was for sale that was perfect. And I said, we've got to buy that. That's our building. And so they told me the price and they said, we need to have it paid for within six weeks. And well, we didn't have any money as a church, which is pretty typical of a church. And, uh, and so I said, if you want to give, please give. And, you know, it's all going to go to this. And, and so the, everybody gave and, you know, sold shoes and shoelaces and everything else. And, and, uh, and we collected all but about $4,100, a little over $4,100. And I said, Lord, we've got three more days. You've got to bring in $4,100. You know, he's like, come on, come on, let's, let's do this. And so on Tuesday, I'll always forget, on Tuesday morning, this lady who'd only been to church twice, didn't know anything about her building. You know, she was a CEO, Christian, Christmas, Easter, and other is when she came. And, uh, and so she drove up to my house. I didn't know how she found out where I lived, but she found out where I lived. She drove up to my house and she knocked on the door and said, Pastor, why am I here? 
And, uh, and I said, what do you mean? You came. I mean, so, and she said, no, I'm kind of asking because I don't really know why I'm here. I just know that I woke up this morning and had this prompting, this urge that I needed to go and empty one of our savings accounts that has a little bit more than $4,100 and give it to you. Why am I here? And I said, you're here for us to get our building. And God does miracles. God does those kind of things. Don't we love it when God does that? Yes. And don't we believe that he can do that? Now, I I love talking about miracles. I have all kinds of miracle stories. But I want to give you one you can check out. And you can even verify, go online, even go there. So let's just take a look at this one that happened in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Santa Fe, New Mexico, a group of nuns were traveling from trying to move from Kentucky over to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and they built a chapel in 1873 called the Loretto Chapel. And this would be the first Gothic structure west of the Mississippi, impossibly large by southwestern standards, especially at that time, 75 feet long, 25 feet wide, and in the back, it had a choir loft 85 feet high. Now, what was interesting was is that they went through the whole project, and then they realized near the end of the project that there was no way to go from the first floor to the choir loft that if they put stairs in of the normal height, it would take up half of the chapel. So it was like something's wrong. And so there was no way to climb to the top. Uh, whole thing probably, so they're like, how do we fix this? We don't know how to fix it. Nobody can find a solution, all that kind of stuff. So then, hit this next one. The sisters had a nine-day prayer session. They just said, let's just stop and let's just pray about this. They did pray for nine days. They prayed for a workable and inexpensive solution to the problem. On the last day of the prayer meeting, a gray-haired man approached the convent, leading a donkey and carrying a tool chest. And he said, I've heard about your problem uh, with the chapel. Would you let me try and build you a staircase? And they said, by all means. But they wondered, how could he do it? Because he only had a hammer, a saw, and a T-square in the box. There is no evidence that he ever ordered any wood The project took six to eight months, and then the man disappeared. The sisters never paid him, and the lumber yard in Santa Fe has no knowledge of the project or any bills for the the wood. Now, then what took place? Hey, this next one. Oh, when the sisters went to inspect the chapel, they found a graceful spiral staircase. It's also a spiritual staircase, but spiral staircase, linking the loft to the first floor, cleverly designed to take up a minimum amount of space. It's constructed only of pegs, no nails. Each stair is made out of several pieces and is perfectly curved and fitted. The unit makes two 360-degree turns. Experts have, for a long time, tried to figure out how it was constructed because it has no center pole and no outside structures that hold it up. They have failed to identify the kind of wood it was made from for over 100 years. Nobody can figure out what kind of wood it was. Where did the carpenter get the wood? And with the exception of some brief modifications, the staircase is still standing over 125 years later. Would you like to know what it looks like? This, show the picture. This is what it looks like. They've added the banister because choir members kept falling off. But this is exactly the way it was made in 1873. As near as we can tell, an angel came and built the thing. It's fascinating. And hundreds of people go there every day you can see them sitting in there looking at it, trying to figure out. It's just fascinating. It's just absolutely fascinating. Now, I love miracles like that. Yes. Now, okay, this section right here is very exciting to preach to. I'm just going <laughs> to preach to this section. Just preaching right here. This is good. Okay, the rest of you are going to just have to kind of join in somehow. Okay, now, 
What we want to talk about is not just more miracles. We want to talk about the greatest miracle of all. That's what we want to talk about. So hit this next one. Now, the greatest miracle of all is what Pastor Dave asked me to talk about today, probably because no one else wanted to talk about it, because many people don't even think it's a miracle. They just think, well, that's just what God does. No, it's, it's the greatest miracle. And there's three questions we have to ask. What is the greatest miracle? How did God do it? And why did God do it? Because it's, it it's mind-blowing if you grab a hold of it. So we're going to kind of jump in here, put our thinking caps on, and try and have God impress us with the greatest miracle ever. Hit this note. What is the greatest miracle? The greatest miracle is when God came out of eternity and was willing to radically reduce himself and his expression to live as a human. If we were to think about this whole idea of God coming out of eternity into our world, we could think of it kind of like us being willing to reduce ourselves to living on a piece of paper. We would now, or another way of thinking about it is if you voluntarily were willing to become a cockroach, just kind of limit yourself to the brain of a cockroach and the food of a cockroach and all of that kind of stuff and living in somebody's carpet uh, at, at night and all that kind of thing. Now, what God did when he came out of eternity to earth is just absolutely amazing and it teaches us so much about God. Now, I made a little diorama so that you could follow this. Scientists tell us that the universe is basically flat, okay? It's four dimensions, but it's flat, okay? So kind of like this, and it's that what the scientists tell us is 13.8 billion years across, okay? That's how, that's how, now, so it's kind of flat, okay? We can work with that whole thing. So I made a spin so you could be more impressed with my abilities to uh, do this. Okay, now, what God did was, now, if we take this whole room as eternity, God lives in eternity. The universe is four dimensions, length, width, breadth, and time. God lives in millions of dimensions, whatever, time, backwards, forwards, everything, all, every dimension, okay? And he was willing to come out of eternity and come into our universe, and not just any part, he came to one little spot over here on the edge of it called Earth and be limited to that. Can you imagine? You used to be out here looking at it. Oh, isn't that interesting? No, it's just kind of stupid. It's only four dimensions. I live in multiple dimensions. But, and then you're willing to go beyond that. It's like the fact that God would do that is absolutely mind-boggling. And God wanted, in fact, let me just prove it to you from Scripture. Take a look at this next verse here. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word or Jesus was in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the, He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being which has come into being. The whole universe came into being by Jesus. And then it says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And the Word became flesh. The expression of God in eternity came into our universe, reduced Himself, was willing to limit what He could do to live on this little dirt ball called Earth. Just absolutely amazing. Hit this next one, because it tells us even more. Apostle Paul explains more about what Jesus went through to go from eternity to Earth. It says, 
Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he is God, he was equal with God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't say, I got to stay in eternity because the food's so much better here. Okay, he, he didn't do that. He was willing, it says, but he emptied himself. He limited what he used to be able to do in order to be living in our world for 33 years. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in likeness of men. And I love this next verse. Being found in appearance as a man. Can't you imagine that Jesus sometimes just went, this is all I get. This is it. I can't fly. I can't teleport. I can't. He's found in appearance as a man because he's fully man and he's fully God. Okay. He humbled himself. He didn't just say, well, I'm a man. I'm going to put a few modifications and, you know, and fly a little bit or something you know, in where nobody can watch me. He, he didn't do that. He, it says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And for this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name. In other words, when he, he came back out, God says, that was huge. The father said that was huge. Now, um, it's next one. God came out of eternity and restricted himself to this universe living as a human. That's just massive. So that is what the miracle is, that God came. Now, how did God pull that off? How did he come out to go in? Okay, How did this miracle happen? The story of how God had it happen is another miracle in itself. The miracle we call the virgin birth. In other words, how God came out of eternity and came in to be fully human is what we call the virgin birth. Now take a look at these scriptures. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38, in the sixth month Elizabeth of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this was Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now you understand, Nazareth was, at that time was a little bitty town, maybe 10, 15 families lived there. It was on the outskirts, it was three miles away from a huge city, a Gentile city called Sephorus, and it was the poor place. It was the place where poor people who served that city lived, and there were about 15 Jewish families that lived there, okay? And in fact, that's why it says Jesus' stepdad and himself, they went and they were tectons, builders, stonemasons, carpenters in that city. Now, what's interesting about that is it says Mary's there, and she... and. History tells us that it was most likely at the water well in the center of town. It says, the virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. She was probably between 13 to 20 years of age. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, if you know everyone in town, because there's only 15 families, and this is a strange dude who's probably glowing a little bit, you're, you're like, what? You know, kind of, they didn't probably make the sign of the cross and back up, but, you know, kind of, what? In fact, look at what it says. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Stranger danger, stranger danger. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Whoa, okay. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. You know, the angel's like, he doesn't get humans that this would really freak someone out. So he just says it all. Have you ever just said stuff to people just because it's true and you let them deal with it? It's kind of fun to watch as they melt down. Anyway, that's one. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son, you call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever, the kingdom which will have no end. Every Jewish young girl wanted to be married and wanted to give birth to the Messiah, wanted to be the mother of the coming Messiah. And the angel says to her, you're it. Tag, you're it. And so what does she say? She says, I think of this probably a little more sarcastically than maybe she said it. Oh, how's this going to happen? But how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. In other words, virgins don't usually have children. It's like, how's it going to happen? Okay. Now, hit the next. The angel answered her and says, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, kind of like in a cloud kind of thing or whatever. And so the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. God is going to connect with you, Mary, and God is going to overshadow you, and you're going to have a baby in you that's going to be fully human and fully God. In fact, one theologian said, if you can believe the miracle of Christmas that God the Son was reduced to a helpless, wiggly crying, pooping baby, you can believe any miracle. If you can believe that, everything else is downhill. Okay? Now, the angel goes on to say, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. In other words, what the angel is saying, I know you probably need evidence that this is God and everything. Let me just help you understand. Your relative who's too old to have babies and has always wanted one, she's now pregnant. And guess what? And you, who've never been with a man, are also going to be pregnant. We're going to have a double pregnancy miracle. It's like, whoa. And so what's interesting is right after this story, what does Mary do? Mary runs, goes over and checks out Elizabeth to find out, are you pregnant? Because like, you know, 70-year-olds don't have babies usually. Okay, now, now, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me be fulfilled. I love the way the King James says, be it unto me according to your word. Now, when God asks you to do something, you do it. You just want to make sure it's God who's asking. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm the Lord's servant. So I'm going to let Pastor Dave unpack all the details of that because it's just funner. I could just push it on him and keep going. Okay. So let's hit the next one. The virgin birth is how God came to earth and truly became human. Jesus has to be fully man in order to be our savior. And he also has to be fully God. And this is how those two met on a planet called Earth in a place called Nazareth. Now, hit this next. The third thing we want to know about this is why would God do this? Why did God do this miracle? He didn't have to. He didn't have to at all. There are three truths that help us understand why God would do this. Now, there's probably 10 or 15, but I had to cut it back to just three so it would fit into the sermon, okay? Now, hit this first one. The first reason why God would do this is to show us that he loves us. Now, let me just help you understand something. When you love someone, when you say you love someone and you really mean it, you show up in their life. Does that make sense? You can't say, I love you, and that's why I'm gone. You show up. You can't delegate your push-ups, you can't delegate your sit-ups, and you can't delegate your love. You show up, okay? Now, that's the process of loving kids, of loving adults, of loving friends. 
that's you show up. Now, so what God needed to do, in fact, because he's the one who invented this whole thing called love, he showed up in our world. That's why he was willing to do this whole thing, because he's saying, I'm not just telling you I love you, uh, this is great, and you're going to be, you know, fried later. He, I love you. So look at the verse. Let me, in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In 1 John 4, 9, By this the love of God was made manifest, or was demonstrated, was shown. Why? That God sent his own Son. He showed up. He showed up. You want to say you love your kids? Show up in their life. You want to say you love your parents? Show up in their life. If you want to say you love your spouse, be there in their life. Does that make sense? Okay, be there in friends' life. Okay, now, now hit this next one. I read this story. Every time I read it, it makes me cry because it's a picture of God's love for us. In December 7th, 1988, an earthquake devastated the northwestern section of Armenia, killing an estimated 25,000 people. In one small town, just after the earthquake, a father rushed to his son's school only to find the school was completely flattened. There was no sign of life. Everyone was saying, they're all dead. All the kids are dead. They were all gone. Though his prospects appeared hopeless, the father climbed up on the pile and began removing rubble from where he thought the son's school classroom had been. Courageously, he worked alone. In fact, everyone else was telling him, get off the pile, it's not safe, you're going to get hurt, and they're all gone. He worked for an hour. Then he kept working, even though they kept out, he worked for four hours, just pulling rubble off. No one volunteered to help him. Bloodied hands, but he still kept digging. Some tried to pull him off the rubble pile, but he kept going. Eight hours later, he was still there. Twelve hours later, he was still pulling rubble off the pile. With the strength and endurance that was beyond himself, he kept going, and he dug for 24 hours. Then he kept going 36 hours. At the 38th hour, his hands were bloody, he moved a piece of rubble, and he heard some children's voices, and he yelled, Armand! Armand! A child's voice responds and says, Dad, it's me, Armand. He says, I told the other kids not to worry. I told them that if you were alive, you would come for me. You promised me that you would always be there for me. And I knew you would come. That makes me cry every time. That's... That's showing up. What this story doesn't tell you, but was in the papers, was that when they finally saw each other, the father said, Armand, come. And he said, no, Dad. I know you will wait for me. I will send the other 13 first. So the boy sent the other kids for fear that he knew if it collapsed, his dad would dig and find him again. God came to earth because he loves he loves us that's why he was willing to reduce his expression to be fully becoming a human now that's too emotional so let's move on (laughs) to show the second reason why god did this miracle was to show who he is 
One of the things is many of us have the wrong picture of God. We have the picture of God as though he is angry, as he's all-powerful and he's going to fry us and he's going to come after us. And, and are you having fun? Knock it off. And we have this idea of God being this punishing, wrathful God. And yet God comes to show us who he is. In fact, just think about this. Did God have to come? No, he didn't have to come. He didn't have to come. I mean, hit this verse. Hebrews chapter 1, God spoke, after he spoke long ago in the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us how? In his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. Jesus comes to show us who God is. And the way Jesus acted in the gospel is an expression of the God we serve. Because the God we serve serves us. And it makes no sense. The Jews of that day missed God when he came because they were expecting Thor. They wanted somebody who was wielding an axe and killing Romans and getting everybody out of the way and all this kind of stuff. And what they got was a meek, mild, humble carpenter who was saying, I'm going to save you from your sins. And they were saying, I don't want to be saved from my sins. I want to be saved from those people. Does this make sense? Now, Jesus says this himself in Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I wanted to have this slide of just the contrast between Thor and Jesus. Because we're, we're kind of all enamored with him right now because of the movies and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Fry the wicked. <laughs> and Jesus says, that's not what I'm like. I am the all-powerful, all-knowing God. In fact, hit this second. What this miracle shows is that the real God is a strange God. He is all-powerful and all-knowing, and yet he does not use his power and his knowledge to press his advantage, but to serve us and benefit us. He is completely different than what we would expect God to be like. No other God is like this. He serves us. He gives to us. He extends himself for us. He is humble and meek. He is not demanding, cruel, egomaniacal, or self-serving, as unfortunately we watch in various political realms. It is a very different picture of a God. God is telling us who he is by coming and then acting as he did when he gets here. He's just straight. This, this is not what we expect God to be. Now, what's interesting is, let me just ask you, I'm really interested in talking with you about becoming Christian if you're not a Christian. But understand, the more you connect to the real God, the more you want to serve, the more you want to love. Because, in fact, the whole point, God tells us, of being a Christian is to learn to love more. Does that make sense? Now, let me just help you kind of clarify. God says, the more you're connected to God, the more loving you are. If the more you say you're connected to God, the less loving you are, something's wrong. Does this make sense? Okay, because the God who came out of eternity to serve us and love on us is what we become. God is different than you think, and he will move to love you, to serve you, and to help you. In fact, there is the strong suggestion in Scripture that if a very selfish, 
sinful person were actually to make it to heaven, they would hate it. Why? Because heaven is about serving others. It would be hell for them. Now, in fact, there's, a, there's this legend that suggests that when you get to heaven, you're going to be handed a four-foot spoon. Why? Because you can't eat. You can't feed yourself with a four-foot spoon. It's too long. The only people you can feed are the people next to you, and they have to feed you. And so you're dependent on them, and they're dependent on you, which is kind of the way it's supposed to be, right? And so God is saying, let me tell you who I am so that when you come to me, I can show you what you're going to become. And if you refuse to become that, then you don't want me. Does this make sense? Okay, now, um, hit this next one, this last one. The third reason why God would do this miracle is to save us, to save the world, to give the opportunity for every person who can't get to heaven to get to heaven. In John chapter 1, verse 29, um, it, it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Show that verse there so everybody can see that. Um, and in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, God is talking through the Apostle Paul and he says, he, or God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also freely give us all things? God saves us. He wants to move on us. And then in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, did you realize, um, just go to that slide on the trade, that God wants to make a trade with us. I don't know whether you've ever understood this or not, but in order to get into heaven, there's only one qualification. You have to be absolutely perfect. That's the only quality. You have to be absolutely perfect. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Now, how many people on earth today will qualify under that standard? No one. I'm the only one dumb enough to hold my hand up, okay? <laughs> not close. Now, in order to get into heaven, you have to be perfect. So, since no one's going to get in, it's a problem. Because we're all sinners. We all got the t-shirt, DRS, dirty, rotten sinner. Okay? We're all rebels. We're all selfish. We're all, we're all conniving. We all, we're trying to get our own stuff. And, all. and what God is saying is, you don't qualify. So, what God did, because he loved us, he is going to make a way for us who shouldn't be in heaven to be there. Now, and he offers a trade. Now, let me just illustrate this trade with some folks that you know, okay? Let's just take Pastor Dave and Sandy, okay? Pastor Dave's the pastor here, if you're new. Um, he's gone this week, so you get me, unfortunately. Um, and then Pastor, and, and Sandy is his wife, wonderful young lady. And we could say that Pastor Dave was perfect, but we know that's not true, so let's not pick him, okay? Let's pick her. Let's say that, that Sandy is perfect, absolutely perfect. She's very close. She's absolutely, she, let's say she's per absolutely perfect. Her whole life she's lived perfect. She's never made a mistake, always cleaned up her room at the right time, all that kind of stuff, okay? Um, and when she gets to the gates of heaven, they swing wide. Sandy, come in. You're perfect. Come on. Oh, this is wonderful. We're glad you finally made it. This is great. And so she eats whatever they eat there. She bounces from planet to planet. She teleports. She flies, whatever she has to do. She's enjoying herself. She's in heaven because she's perfect, Okay. And she's enjoying heaven, and she goes, oh, I remember back on earth I had this husband. He was pretty good. He's a pretty nice guy. And I wish he could enjoy heaven, but I know he's not perfect, so he can't be here. So she says to Jesus, Jesus, is there some way that I could give my perfections to Pastor Dave? 
I know he's not perfect. He's far from it, but could, you, could we do this? And, and Jesus says, well, it's okay for me. I'm okay with me if, if it's okay with Dave. And uh, so she gets sent back and she's talking to Dave and he says, and she says, I can give you my perfection and you can enjoy heaven. It's amazing. You got to experience it. I'll take your sin. And he says, okay. <laughs> and if both of them walk up to the gates of heaven, which one of them now gets in? Dave gets in because he's got her perfection. But the problem with that is how many people are in heaven? Still only one person. Still only one because she's a one for one trade. That's why, theologically, it couldn't be just a perfect woman or a perfect man who lived a perfect life and then gave it up because it was only be, here's one, boom, and one for one. That's why it had to be a man or woman who lived a perfect life, who was also God, who by definition cannot die. And he can then offer it to you, and he gets back, offer it to you, offer it to you, offer it to you. And that's what it says in John 1, 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God because he can keep trading his perfect life that is married to God over and over and over and over and over again because we will get to heaven not on anything we've done because we're all sinners. There's no religion that's going to help. There's, I mean, you know, just walking on your knees for a million miles is not going to help. Praying laps around prayer beads, it's not going to help. Jesus is the only thing that helps. Does this make sense? And he says, I want to make a trade with you. I want to trade you all of your sins and I will give you all of my perfection. That's a pretty good trade. It's an amazing trade. And now there's fine print in the contract. You have to understand the fine print. The fine print is... If I give you my perfection and I take your sins, I get to run your life. And he empowers it to be a totally different kind of life. So that's also a good deal. But you have to understand that that's what the deal is, okay? Because you say, well, I really want to go to heaven, but I want to live my own way. God says, well, you really don't understand the, the, the terms here. Does that make sense? Now, God came to make a trade. His perfection for your sins. His life then in you, empowering you, and your life. Accept the deal. Make the trade. Now, I know that many people have been in church all their life trying to earn God's favor and please Him, and they're treating Christianity as a religion. It's not a religion. You don't try and earn God's favor. You accept His trade. And then everything you do after that is just got a gratitude. You say, Jesus, I'm still screwing up, but I'm trying to do the best I can. Could you empower me? But it's all about what He did, okay? Now, Coming to church and trying to be a good person doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in your garage makes you a car. You need Jesus in you paying for you. Does that make sense? And, and it's, you don't have to do anything other than you just have to say, Jesus, I want it. I want to make the trade. I'm going to pray a little prayer in just a little bit. And I'm just going to say a few sentences and then you're going to repeat after me if you've never made this before or maybe you've been sitting in church, you've heard it a bunch of times and now you're finally ready. Every one of the services, we've had some people who said, I'm finally ready. Uh, last service, we had a wonderful person, as near as we can tell, 87 years of age, said, I'm ready. 
Isn't that wonderful? Now, if, you've, if everybody thinks you've made the trade, but you haven't, now's a good day. So if you just bow in prayer with me, if you want to pray this prayer, please pray it with me. If you've already made this prayer, then pray for the people who may be. Dear Heavenly Father, I come in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Just repeat after me in your side your mind. I realize that I am not perfect and I won't be going to heaven. I want you to come into my life and pay for my sins. Give me your perfections. Save me. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. I will let you be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, I'm not going to embarrass you, but one of the things that Jesus asks us to do is when we make that trade, that we go public in the next little bit. You have to kind of go public. So it may be at work where you tell somebody who hates God, I just became a Christian or whatever. whatever. Just, you have to go public. And even if you've been in church for a long time, you know, in fact, let me just tell you, I was in this church. I was the president of the youth group when I finally made the trade. And that Sunday, I had to stand up and say, by the way, isn't it exciting? I'm president of the youth group. I just became a Christian last night. And they were like, what? Up to then, it had only been religion. And now I'm a Christian. Totally different world. Now, what I'm going to suggest is some of you, if you prayed that prayer, you just go public by, in just a second, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And you can just raise your hand. And say, I'm going public. I did it. I did it. Okay, cool. Then there's some literature back there. You can strengthen that. If you're unwilling to do it here, but you just did that, sometime during this week, God's going to present you with an opportunity to tell people I just became a Christian. Could be a relative, could be a friend, could be a coworker, and you're just going to get a chance to go public. So do that. Okay? Now, if this is the first time you've ever done that, how, ma how many of you by chance, how many of you prayed that prayer for the first time or you meant it for the first time? Anybody? Okay, just raise your hand. Okay. Good. We okay. Good, 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 good. Okay, very good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, enjoy what God is doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you have done all the work. And all you do is ask us to receive it. May we draw you in. May we ask you to save us of our sins. May we continue to let you run our lives and be the Lord, the boss of our life, to make a different life. Thank you for loving us and being gracious to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.